and peace to you as well. Y'all uh, um, thank our kitchen staff uh, for helping serve our great food today. Thank you, Michelle and Tetta. Y'all are awesome. We are very, very grateful. Food's good. And uh, man, company is uh, even better. I'm so grateful for all of y'all uh, coming and sharing together uh, each each Tuesday this uh, this summer. It's been really good. So uh, next Next week will be our last meeting, and that the last Tuesday in July next week. Can you believe it's already uh, gotten by? So yes, next week will be our last meeting. And so I send regrets from Pastor Kurt. Uh, his dad, if y'all remember back a couple of years ago, uh, was struggling with cancer. That is That has come back, and uh, Pastor Kurt is uh, helping out with his dad today. And so be in prayer for Pastor Kurt and his family uh, during this time. Let's uh, bow our heads and let's pray, and uh, then we're going to begin our conversation. Lord, we pause at the uh, middle part of the day, reflecting back and giving thanks for the grace that you have poured into our lives that sustains us. that reminds us that you're with us and that we're not alone. Lord, we thank you for this food that nourishes these bodies that you have given us. We are very grateful. We just ask that you bless the hands that have prepared it today in a very special way. And Lord, as we continue our journey through our heritage as Methodist, Lord, I pray that wherever our heart may need to be touched today, that you will give us the courage to give you permission to do it. So we give you thanks for this time that we have together in Jesus' name. And everyone said. All right. Repeat after me. Sola, Sancta, Caritas. All right. Let's try it again. Sola, Sancta, Caritas. The title of the little booklet that I handed you uh, last week. I've heard y'all as I've been passing around uh, the second track that I'm going to give you, that I gave you. And if you didn't get a handout, we have them right up here. You need to take two things, so come on up here and grab them. Uh, but I just wanted to, before we got started in the content today, I just wanted to ask if there was something that really stuck out to you about what you read from Joe Donjel that, wow. I have ever thought about it like that, or wow, that was really inspiring, or you fill in the blank. Yes, Rich. One, it, it hit me when I read the very first thing is love. Yeah. When I read it, it I mean, we've, we've read the Bible where it says, yeah. but it... The guy got it right. Yeah. What I'm trying to say. For sure. Thank you. He got it right. Anything else? Yes, Nancy. I think that what stood out to me was that we need to feel God's love mm. 
before we are able to give love fully. Yeah, that was, that was a really powerful part of his uh, little treatise there. He called it, did he, call, did he call it the infusion and the profusion? Were those the words that he was, he was using? Yeah, it's very important. It's like we, we can't give what we don't have, right? And, uh, one of the big things, and I'm going to talk about that today, is one of the ways that Methodists were insistent upon is, yeah, loving other people. That's what we got to do. But we got to sit in God's presence in order to prepare our lives to do that. Very good. Yes, sir. Yeah, one of the things that I, what impressed me was you always hear about Jesus' love, but it stressed that love like Jesus loves. And I think that yeah. that impressed me the most. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, he's kind of exposing, even even back in Wesley's day, day and what he's lifting out there is there's a, it's an easy thing to do to culturally appropriate love on our own terms. But to love as Jesus loved, that is the invitation that Wesley uh, jumped on, on board with and uh, got excited about. Well, good job, y'all. I uh, way to, way to read, spend some time with that, and I hope you'll continue to to read that regularly. It's just a it's such a great great little book. One of the things we're going to kind of lean into today, Pastor Kurt. Remember, he got us across the pond, right? He got Methodism across the pond, and um, one of the things that uh, was was brought um, across the pond from John Wesley was John Wesley's Sunday service of the Methodist in North America. Ha! You ever seen this? Uh, you should pick it up and look at it sometime. All the S's are F's. It's like y'all remember y'all y'all probably read some stuff uh, back in the old days, uh, and so it's kind of, it's a little bit hard to read. But embedded in this little order of Sunday worship, you might say, was also the Methodist doctrinal distinctives. What we as Methodists believe, it's, it's kind of a running joke that Methodists have never found a doctrine they didn't like. <laughs> and y'all, it's just wide from the truth from how we began. Um, we've been working with two words that we're trying to reclaim. Y'all remember what the two words are? Doctrine is one of those words. And, uh, and a similar word is dogma. And we don't like those words. Because what we have culturally appropriated those words to mean is to be something that actually oh, is hard and robs of life. Doctrine, on the contrary, what, we, what have we been saying? Doctrine is that which makes you well. Which makes you whole. Right, And then the other word that we've been trying to reclaim is the word religion. And the word literally means to connect again, to bind again. And the way that I take that uh, in a, a spiritual sense is that we are going back to the garden and where there was separation between us and other humans and us and God that there is a process by which we can go through to connect again. 
So as Methodists, we have doctrinal standards. In essence, to use my language, is that we have these words written down. And if we can live into these words, we are going to live lives that are well and whole. They happen to be titled the doctrinal standards, and I put them in front of you. If you'll see them here, uh, you, this is from our book of discipline. Um, and it, you, you can see on the title, our doctrinal standards and general rules. So the doctrinal standards make up three things. The first of the doctrinal standards is our articles of religion. There's that word again, right? Uh, and it's 20 five articles of religion plus two things that have been tacked on back in the 1930s. And we'll get to that here in a little while. That's number one. That's what you have in your hand. So to say that Methodists don't have doctrines that we hold to, that's not true. From 1784, when they came across the pond, this is what has been ordering our life. Since 1808, in, the, in our Book of Discipline, we've had the Book of Discipline that long, uh, it was made a rule that those doctrines could not change. Alright? So this is what we've been living with. That's number one. Our, doc, our articles of religion, that's what you have in your hand. The second thing that is our doctrinal standards is Wesley's Standard Sermons. We've talked a little bit. I actually read a, a lot to you out of one of these standard sermons. Y'all remember the name of it? You get a brownie point if you remember the name of the sermon that I read a lot to you from. The Way of Salvation. Remember? Yeah. That's the second one. So there, and, and, and it kind of fluctuates. Is it 44? Is it 52? Is it 53? Uh there's some fluctuation in the number of sermons, but in general, Wesley's standard sermons. There you have them. And then the last one is this. This is Wesley's, John Wesley's notes on the New Testament. These become the standards by which Methodists seek to order their lives to thus be well, to be whole. Not to rob you of life, not to rob you of joy, but for you to experience the joy that we have as followers of the risen Christ. What John Wesley did, remember John Wesley was an Anglican, a clergy person in the Church of England. They had the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer to an Anglican is the Book of Discipline to a Methodist. All right? In some ways, theirs is much better than ours, uh, but nonetheless. Uh, but what John Wesley did is the Anglicans had 39 articles of religion. We have 25. 
So there were some that John Wesley did not feel like were necessary uh, for this movement in the United States. This was partic- peculiar to the United States Methodists, right? And so he, he, at, he took away some, and, and the 25 that you have in front of you are less. I've got the 39 here. If you want to come up after after our class today and see the ones that Wesley left out, uh, you can. Uh, one that, The first one that got left out was uh, of the going down of Christ into hell. That was the third article of religion for the Anglicans. Wesley left that one out. And uh, we, we affirm that in, in some forms of our creeds that we say, that Christ descended to the dead. Yeah, we say that. If you grew up Lutheran, any Lutherans in the room? Yeah, y'all said it every Sunday, right? Yeah. So, uh, but that was one, and, and I haven't gone down into the weeds on why Wesley left some off and, and, and why he didn't others. But here are those if you want to come take a look. So what I thought we would do is go through some of these and see how, and just ponder together how truly believing in these articles of religion, what is it? To connect again. How it is to be a means of us experiencing wholeness in Christ. Article number one. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. The maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of this Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So it kind of can just feel a little rambling, right? But just ponder that for a second. And what does believing this actually, what kind of difference does believing this actually make in your life? So I kind of focus in on that second line. That's just me. But God is infinite in power, wisdom, and goodness. Have you ever considered that any time we sin, it is a failure to trust in the wisdom and goodness of God? Ever thought of it like that? Because if God is good, then anything that God would ask us to live into or to avoid has to be also what? Good. But like going back to the garden with Adam and Eve, there was something that switched in their heads and in their hearts that, oh, God must not be good. So I got to take, right? And so, and it will it will continue to unfold as we get through these articles. 
But the, these things are, for Methodists, these uh, articles of religion are not just these static things, but they are these things that are to get us to this place of bringing us life and, and giving life to others. Kind of going back to the infusion and the profusion thing, Nancy. Okay, so focuses in on, on God and the fact that God is a trinity, three persons. Second, second article, and we're not going to go through all of these, but I'm just trying to give you a taste, a taste of the good life, right? This is what this is, right? All right, article two of the Word, or Son of God, who was made very man. The Son, who is the Word of the Father, the very and eternal God, of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, so that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say, the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, whereof is one Christ, very God and very man, who truly... I want to underline that. Who truly suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried to reconcile his father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for the actual sins of men. Notice that the language has not been updated. Uh, you know, we, we would normally use these days uh, terms more like uh, humanity, so that this language has been preserved, that men means everyone, not just men, right? So it's just a kind of note from history. Anything strike you as peculiar about that article? Or not peculiar, but life-giving? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's so. We, we we often say that there was never a time when there was not the Son of God or the Word of God. There's always been three persons of the Trinity, but there was a time when God stepped into time and took on flesh and. Jesus became Jesus. And what the article is saying is that that state is now not alter alterable. That Jesus doesn't shed off his human body now, but he maintains it. Remember one of the things that after the resurrection is that Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I do what? Touch him and, and put my fingers in his hand and in his side. Yeah, that's where we get that, that after the resurrection, Jesus is holding on to his human body, right? And so we too, when we are, be, are resurrected uh, with Jesus, we will share that with him as well. Questions, thoughts? Okay, so one might argue that there is a a way in which that these articles are arranged by importance. You get it gets dangerous when you do stuff like that because all of these are very important. But what we're trying to kind of get into is the is the uh, movement 
of the story of the scriptures. Also, if you're well-versed in the Nicene Creed, um, we do the shorter Apostles' Creed most of the time. But if you're well, you're, you're hearing words from the from both creeds, but especially the Nicene Creed coming out loud and clear. And so this is not something new, all right. But they're reaching back to uh, the ecumenical councils of the church and the scriptures of themselves to write these articles. And so remember what Wesley said about the Methodist movement. He was trying to reclaim. The ancient church, that which was from the beginning. And this is representative of that. All right, so where the articles of religion of the Anglican church have Jesus going to hell now, to, and here we go straight to uh, the, uh, the resurrection. There is a misprint in our book of discipline. Did y'all see that? How can that? How can they misprint our our our? That's so weird. Article three, which says it's Article two. Okay, so Christ did. What does it say? Now that's been that's done that's been said twice over the course of. So, do you think even in Wesley's day? There must have been an argument or a possibility going around that the death and resurrection of Jesus were just mere spiritual expressions of what the disciples experienced when they were with Jesus. Or did it truly happen? And the question for us is, does it really matter? Yes. I hope so. <laughs> That's what Methodists believe, that it actually does truly matter. I think what we all have to wrestle with is why. All right. Christ did truly rise again from the dead. 1 Corinthians 13. You can just write that in over, over this uh, article. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul just makes this bold statement that if Christ did not rise from the dead... We are still in our sins. And took again his body. There's going back to what Jake just noted again. Took again his body with all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature, wherewith he ascended into heaven, and there sitteth until he return to judge all men at the last day. Now, if somebody can pick out the possible error of that article, you get a huge gold star. Anybody? Well, here it is. Does Jesus always sit at the right hand of God? There's this story in uh, the book of Acts where Stephen is being stoned. And you know what he sees? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That was free. <laughs> I don't know what it really means. All I know is what it says, right? So it's just interesting that they, uh, and what they're doing is that they're drawing on the creed. We say that every Sunday. And sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We say that. Okay. Any questions?
All right. Article 4, the Holy Ghost, which we would say these days, the Holy Spirit, right? Proceeding from the Father and the Son is of one substance, majesty and glory with the Father and the Son, very and eternal God. It would be nice for this article to give a little bit more. One of the, one of the uh, I think the, the weaknesses of the Apostles' Creed is that it just says we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. Does it give any, like uh, to the Father and to the Son, it gives a lot more. Uh, the Nicene Creed does a little bit better, and some of that is affirmed here in this article. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it'd be nice to have more. All right. Questions? Before we move, we're moving fast. All right. Article 5. If you'll remember back, all the way back to that third session, remember I handed you that pamphlet that said, that talked about, it was called uh, Thoughts Upon Methodism. Do you remember that one? And it has this very quotable quote from John Wesley that talks about, I do not doubt that the people called Methodists shall ever cease to be uh, on the planet, whether here in England or or anywhere in the world, but I do worry, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I do worry that they will be a dead sect, having the form, but not the power, right? Unless they hold firm to something in doctrine and something in which they first set out. Oh, there it is. Way to go, Ken. Hold fast to the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. And remember what the next paragraph starts? Remember in that? That the foundational doctrine is the Scripture. And so it doesn't surprise me that a conversation about the Scripture is right here uh, in Article 5. We'll just read the first part here. The Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation... Remember, salvation is not going to heaven when you die. The Scripture way of salvation, right, is that we are people on a journey of wholeness that begins at our justification. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, you might say, we are justified, and we begin this journey of becoming more and more and more Christ-like. It is the process of sanctification, Wholeness, salvation. Salvation is another word for wholeness. The scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do not under we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament, of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. The name of these canonical books are. Then he lists them, and then the New Testament. So that first sentence, it's like okay, 
Methodists have a firm belief. We have a firm belief that Scripture is the, is the place in which we go to understand how to live whole, full, and abundant lives. And that becomes our authority for doing that. And then, you know, the books are listed, and y'all probably, probably know this, but the books are listed because there was controversy, right, about which books should be included and which should not. Uh, particularly, uh, and, and it's not really, to me, that big of a controversy now, but back then it was a big deal. But it was the apocryphal books that the uh, Roman Catholic Church recognizes, and then the um, Orthodox Church recognizes a slightly different list of other books that Protestants are normally not accustomed to accepting as authoritative. And so that is why the, the, the time has been taken to uh, list them out. All right, what I want you to do now, since we've only got about 10 more minutes, is I just want you to read through, I'm just going to read through the titles of the other ones. And if there is one that says, whoa, let's talk about that, after I read through all the list, let's see which ones y'all want to talk about. Of the Old Testament, of original or birth sin, of free will. Okay, we'll talk about that one. Of the justification of man, of good works. Get this one. Of works of super erogation. Of sin after justification. Of the church. Of purgatory. Of speaking in the congregation in such a tongue as people understand. Note, as people understand, not do not understand. Of the sacraments of baptism, of the Lord's Supper, of both kinds. That's a good one. Of the one oblation of Christ finished upon the cross, of the marriage of ministers, of the rites and ceremonies of the church, of the rulers of the United States of America. Wow. The United States of America got in an article of religion. Interesting of Christian men's goods, of a Christian man's oath. And that's the 25. Now notice on the back page there are two more, which it's interesting that Wesley did not include these. And I think that he didn't include them because they weren't in any form included in the 39 articles he got from the Anglicans. Uh, but certainly, uh, this is, and we, we've been talking about this through uh, our whole time together, about the center part that sanctification plays in the Methodist movement. And so that is, those were added at the end when our churches merged. So our churches merged, the, southern, the northern church and the southern church and uh, the Methodist Protestant church merged together in 1939 and those were added then on sanctification. So, so you want to talk, Rich, about free will. Yeah. All right, let me read it and then we will talk about this. The condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and works to faith and calling upon God. 
Wherefore, we have no power to do good works, pleasant and acceptable to God, without the, underline it, grace of God, by Christ preventing us, that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. Dense. Say again? That's dense. Dense. It is very dense. What Wesley is trying to say to us and what this article is trying to say to us is what we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, um, the scripture way of salvation that in that sermon um, that God's grace is constantly at work to keep us from falling so far that we don't have the capacity to return to God right that's the he says preventing there maybe y'all have heard the term prevenient grace we shared that a few weeks ago that um that we don't have the capacity to turn to God on our own. But God in His grace and God in His love is pursuing us. It's like God is constantly on the lookout. And that looking is grace enough to give us space to return home. Right? And there's freedom in that. We have to make the choice. And that is where we differ with uh, Calvinist and Wesley and the, the Methodists and the Wesleys had this ongoing debate with the Calvinist of the day, right? And uh, as, uh, as they were working this thing out, they were very close, but they were, they were very different on many things as well. And this is one of the areas that they were close on, that we could not by ourselves turn to God. God in His grace is wooing us to return. And that is power enough for us to do that. But we still have the choice. Calvinists, on the other hand, believe that there is no choice. That the choice is made for us to turn to God or not. Right? A lot of conflict there. Anybody want to give some clarity to that? I think in some of their arguments, uh, they would argue that if someone obviously displayed uh, the Christian lifestyle and then they rejected that, right? Then the comment from the Calvinists would be, "Well, they were never, they weren't saved." That's right. Wesley would say, "You know, you wonder if we're saved. I mean, you guys don't even know if you're ever saved to begin with, let alone." That's right. That's right. It's very fascinating. When I think of free will, I always go back to something that's a long time ago. God's will shall be done. That's right. God's will shall be done. And we have the opportunity to participate in that or not. That's right. And we, and we are given a choice. We can participate or fight against His will, but His will shall be done. That's right. And, and it's our free, we have freedom to choose it or not. It's a classic C.S. Lewis quote. Y'all got to hold on to this. It's classic. It is that when we stand before God, it's going to be one of two things. That we kneel before the Lord and we say, Thy will be done. Or that God says to us, 
thy will be done. So uh, ponder that for the rest of the afternoon and for the rest of your life. Um, so let me go. Let me go. Uh, we're, we're, we're really out of time. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I try not to give myself over to hyperbole too often. Um, but I really encourage y'all to read that little booklet last week. And I really encourage y'all to spend some time in this. I, I have quoted some things from this booklet throughout our time together. Uh, but when John Wesley, uh, when when the when the Methodist movement was growing, uh, and people, you know, remember the word Methodist was a derogatory term. It was. It was used to poke fun at, to ridicule the early Methodist, like way back in the in the seventeen twenties before Wesley really even had his conversion experience. Uh, but as he was being challenged by people regularly of the the validity of what he was trying to do. He took the time to write this little treatise about this is what he and the Methodists were working towards. It begins with a list of what a Methodist is not. And it's really, really good. And then it goes through about what about the last third. And I want y'all just to... I've read this several times. I want you all just to look at the section on prayer whenever you read through this and just stop. It's beautiful. Y'all know the passage, pray without what? It's like, what is Paul even saying? How can we live our lives praying without ceasing? John Wesley talks about it. And just note what that is and what he's talking about, and just ask yourself the question, is my life moving more towards that? With all the conflict that we're going on, that's going on in our denomination right now, um, one of the things that I am convinced of, however this all plays out, that for Methodism to thrive again, We've got to be committed to do the things that Methodists did at first. To be the people that Methodists were at first. There is a reason that Methodists are accused of or made fun of for saying a Methodist hasn't found a doctrine they didn't like. What's happened? Well, as you read through this, maybe you'll be inspired anew. And for us, as we navigate this time together, it's hard. And y'all are awesome the way y'all have uh, just been w- working with us through all of this. Y'all been so good and so encouraging, asking hard questions, and I appreciate all that. But on the other side, whatever happens, something's got to change. And if it's us living into this, I tell you what, I'm all on board. Let's pray. So God, in this moment, our hearts are lifted up to you again. And we, humbly, desire to do your will in all parts of life. 
So God, we give you permission to make us well as we do your will and persistently trust your goodness. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. If y'all need to take one to a friend, come get one. I'm going to go get them right now.